Welcome to New Spring Church. My name is Mike, and we are so glad that you chose to worship with us today. If you have any questions or are just interested in getting more involved at New Spring, be sure to take the Talk to Us card that was handed to you when you walked in, or the one that's in the chair in front of you. Fill it out and drop it in the offering bucket as it passes today. We have an amazing opportunity for college-aged adults ages 18 to 24, an opportunity that could impact hundreds of people's lives around you. Later this fall, we are launching a brand new ministry for college-aged adults from all over Wichita, and we need your help. We have a vision of building a community of young, passionate adults who love God, want to meet new people, and are interested in seeing the gospel impact their generation. Right now, we are looking for 50 young, creative, passionate, college-aged adults who are interested in joining a special team called The Launch. The Launch is a group of people who are gonna be responsible for dreaming up and carrying out all of the amazing things we know God is going to do through this new ministry. On September 16th, we are hosting a special event for anyone interested in joining The Launch. To register for this event, please visit newspring.org slash the launch. For all of us here today, it's our privilege to have Ken Ham bringing a message from God's word. We just want to thank everyone for being here and we hope you enjoy today's service. Hey, good morning. Yeah, that's pretty good. Y'all stand up. Our God is love. Let's return that love as we worship him together this morning.
Father, you are great, you are mighty, you are worthy of praise in this place this morning, God. We thank you for the gift to worship in your house, in song, but also in hearing your word, Father. We pray you would bless the word being spoken today, the truth that is being brought, Father, and that we would all hear what you would have for us. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you for singing, you can have a seat. Well, good morning again, and welcome to our last weekend service here at New Spring. Special morning for us, we've got a special guest with us, and in a few moments I'll be sharing more with you about that, but... Um, if you don't mind, just for a second, I'd like to share a little bit of my heart with you about something that's coming up. Um, you know, it seems like about this time of year, we've got so many awesome things that kind of hit on our calendar this time of year at New Spring. It's almost like this is when our year starts, um, or at least in a couple weeks it is anyhow. And uh, one of the things that happens pretty quick in the fall is in October, and that's when we do Judgment House. And Judgment House, if you've been around New Spring for a while, you're pretty familiar with what it is. But if, if perhaps you, uh, you're not familiar with it, uh, it's a walk-through drama presentation where we uh, really, as, as, as a church, uh, are demonstrating for the community the real-life choice uh, that is the decision to decide what to do with Jesus Christ. Uh, and uh, last year we had around 8,000 people making the tour. Uh, that is an incredible number of, of folks from the Wichita community that we're getting to share uh, this message with. And so it really is, Judgment House is really part of the DNA of who we are. Um, this is part of the heart and soul of New Spring Church, and it takes the heart and soul of New Spring Church to do this. Um, it takes your prayers, it takes your support, it takes feet on the ground. You guys know we've been talking about this in the videos that you've seen. We need volunteers, we need you to come and be a part of Judgment House. But more than that, it does take some, fi some financial support as well. It's an expensive thing to do, but we feel like it's important to reach our community with the, with the message of Jesus Christ, don't you? Um, and so this is an opportunity to, that you have to participate in this. As, as you get ready to, um, to give your gifts this morning, you notice there's a little spot there that, that talks about a, a, a designation for missions gift. 
Um, this is really a way of reaching our world for Christ. If you're thinking about giving a gift to missions, um, you can just designate on there that this gift is for Judgment House, uh, um, and uh, it, will, it will definitely get to that, and you will be able to participate in what, is, what God is doing in hearts and lives through that ministry. Uh, so at this point in time, those who are prepared to take the offering, if you want to go ahead and come forward, we're going to have a quick video about what's going on at New Spring, and I'll be right back with you in just a moment. The New Spring store still has some New Springers t-shirts available. You can get one for only $10.50. So make sure you pick yours up after the service today so you can show everyone else that you are a New Springer. Because of Labor Day weekend, our 5.30 p.m. service next Saturday, September 1st, has been canceled. All the other service times will stay the same. So Saturday at 4 p.m. and Sunday at 10 and 11.30 a.m. Remember, if you're ever unsure, you can check out all our service times at newspring.org schedule. If you've always wanted to work behind the scenes at a weekend service, our technical arts ministry team is looking for you. Sign up at newspring.org slash volunteer or grab a Talk to Us card and seat in front of you or use the one in your worship guide. Fill it out, mark the boxes that say, I want to serve in the ministry and technical arts. And someone from the team will contact you ASAP about available positions. There are still plenty of opportunities for you to get involved in Judgment House. You can volunteer for one of the hundreds of volunteer positions that we have, buy a t-shirt to promote the event, or sign up for the 30 days of prayer. Check out newspring.org slash jh to sign up or find out more. On September 21st and 22nd, New Spring is having a live marriage conference that you and your spouse are not going to want to miss. There was this couple that came into this restaurant, and as they came in, this wife noticed this couple over in the corner. They were on the same side of the booth, and he had his arm around her. And women can see this from three planets away. So as they're coming in, she's watching this the whole time. The husband's just trying to get seated somewhere. So now they're seated, but she's still watching them. And this guy's stroking her hair. He's whispering things. She's laughing. Her head's going back. And just it's and she's just fixated on this. And finally she says to her husband, do you see that couple over there? What? Do you see that couple over there? Yeah. What, what about her? Well, look at, look, look at how he's got his arm around her. He's, he's stroking her hair. He's, he's speaking sweet nothings into her ear. Yeah. Why don't you do something like that? I don't even know that woman. <laughs> you can purchase tickets for a discounted price of $45 at the New Spring store this weekend or online at newspring.org slash love and respect. Relationships are important, obviously, right? We know that. We hear about how to improve our marriage, dating, and family relationships all the time. But there's one kind of relationship that we don't talk about much, and that's friendship. All of our friendships are defined differently. Best friends, acquaintances, coworkers, Facebook friends, the list goes on. As some start the new school year and others start new jobs, or even as those who've worked at the same place for years continue going to work every day, we want to talk about those people that impact your life on a day-to-day -day basis. Friends. In September, we're starting a series called Friends. During this series, we're having a special weekend for you to invite your friends to experience New Spring. We're calling it Friend Request Weekend. On that weekend, September 15th and 16th, Everything we do in the service will be geared specifically toward the friends you bring. They'll even get a free gift just for showing up. Until September 1st and 2nd, be thinking about a friend you want to visit New Spring to hear the truth about God's love. 
between now and then, write the first name or the first name and last initial of your friend on one of the marker boards located on the lower walls of the galleries before or after the weekend services. Writing their name will symbolize two things. One, your commitment to invite them to a service on September 15th or 16th. And two, an act of prayer that God will work in their hearts to lead them to New Spring that weekend. To make it easier for you to invite your friends, we have many invites in the foyer that you can give them as a reminder. Make sure you take part in Friend Request Weekend on September 15th and 16th. It's an amazing opportunity to change the lives of New Springers friends all over the Wichita area. Well, I know you're going to want to be part of that. Uh, the Friends series is going to be huge, and, and I have something to say about that before we're finished this morning. But uh, I told you this was going to be a, a, a really special morning for us. We have a special guest uh, this morning, and uh, his name is Dr. Ken Ham. I'm, I've been aware of uh, Dr. Ham's ministry since I was um, in Bible college when, uh, when I was 19, and he came and spoke at my school. And uh, Dr. Ham has a real straightforward way of talking about a lot of the questions that people ask. Um, when they don't really feel the freedom to believe that God really is real. They've, they've, fed, they've been fed lines about evolution and about things uh, that have been basically set in their lives to doubt God. And uh, what's so special about Dr. Ham is he, he has made his, uh, his ministry career the past uh, few decades uh, as an apologist, which simply means that he defends that what the Bible says is what it means, and he gives a reasoned defense for what you see in the Bible. So what you're going to hear when Dr. Ken comes up uh, is that his heart is just like ours and that he believes that when the Bible says something, that's exactly what it means. But you're going to experience the fact that Dr. Ken has taken a logical step-by-step -step defense of those things, and it's just so fun to hear him explain things that I don't even understand. But uh, would you join me in welcoming Dr. Ken Ham? A warm new spring welcome as he comes on stage. Well, good morning. It still is morning, so we can say that. <laughs> well, it's great to be here, and I really appreciate uh, the church uh, granting me the honor and privilege, and always is an honor and privilege when they entrust uh, the pulpit to a guest to come in here. And as uh, Jonathan said, I come from a ministry that's an apologetics ministry. Uh, of course, one of, the, one of the things I like to do, too, is to teach people how to speak properly. But that's, that's because I speak in an accent that you're going to speak in heaven, so you've got to get used to it. <laughs> Well, you can't prove I'm wrong yet, so I can say that. <laughs> but Answers in Genesis is an apologetics ministry. The word apologetics actually comes from the Greek word apologia that's translated defense or answer in 1 Peter 3.15. Always be prepared to give an answer, to give a logical reason defense of the faith. You know, it's one thing to say, oh, I'm a Christian, I trust in Jesus for salvation. But what happens when people come to you and say, well, how do you know the Bible's true? And where did God come from? And wait a minute, if, if you believe in Noah's flood, Noah couldn't fit all the animals on the ark. How do you fit them on the ark? And don't dinosaurs disprove the Bible? Doesn't carbon-14 disprove the Bible? Anyway, how do you explain all the races of people if we all go back to Adam and Eve? Who's heard those questions before, by the way? Yeah, we've heard them, haven't we? And you know, a lot of people today don't know how to answer them. And for a lot of Christians, they say, oh, don't worry about that, just trust in Jesus anyway. But see, the reason people are asking those questions is because it's causing them to doubt that the history in the Bible is true. And so that's why I believe God has raised up ministries like Answers in Genesis. And we go to churches like this uh, to, to give you the information that the Lord has entrusted to us to equip you to be able to have those answers so that you can even be more effective in your witnessing for the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, in 2007, we opened the Creation Museum in the greater Cincinnati area, actually, actually northern Kentucky. 
actually Cincinnati Airport's in northern Kentucky, not Cincinnati, and so that's why we're in northern Kentucky, but we're in Cincinnati. So that's just to tell you where that is. But the Creation Museum was opened in 2007. I want to show you a short video of that because it leads into the talk I want to give for you today, help you better understand really why we have an apologetics ministry. The acclaimed Creation Museum and outreach of Answers in Genesis is a one-of-a-kind museum filled with animatronic characters, interactive videos, a spectacular planetarium, a special effects theater, and many other world-class exhibits. Since its opening in 2007, the Creation Museum has welcomed over 1.5 million guests at its 49-acre location in the greater Cincinnati area. The state-of-the-art 70,000-square-foot museum brings the pages of the Bible to life, helping answer the skeptical questions that cause people to doubt that the Bible is true. The dramatic finale of the museum is the Last Adam film, where guests experience the glory of God's redemptive plan and hear a clear and powerful presentation of the gospel message. Since the museum's opening, we have heard countless testimonies from adults and young people whose lives have been changed through a museum visit. Now discover how it might change your own life for Christ. Plan your visit at creationmuseum.org and prepare to believe. Now, of course, you all want to go to the Creation Museum, don't you? And I hope you can come one day. Actually, it's really a walk through the Bible, and this really summarizes what this ministry is all about and what I want to challenge you with this morning. It's a walk through what we call the seven C's, creation, perfect creation, corruption, the entrance of sin and death, catastrophe, the flood of Noah's day, confusion, Tower of Babel, and then Christ's cross consummation. Think of the relationship between the history in Genesis and the gospel, the history in Genesis and the rest of the Bible. A perfect creation, one day it'll be perfect again in the future when there's a new heavens and new earth. Sin and death entered the world. That's why God's son stepped into history to die on a cross because death was a penalty for sin and to provide a free gift of salvation. The flood of Noah's day, a judgment by water because of man's wickedness, but an ark of salvation. Noah and his family had to go through a doorway to be saved. God's son stepped into history and he said, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he'll be saved. He's our ark of salvation. The Tower of Babel reminds us that we all go back to Adam and Eve, so there's only one race of people we're all one race, we're all sinners, we're all descendants of Adam and Eve. That's why we're all in need of the gospel. And because we're all descendants of Adam and Eve, that's why we are all sinners. You see how it all fits together? See how the relationship is there between the history in Genesis and then the doctrine, the gospel, and the rest of the Bible. And what we do is we answer questions to help people understand, you know, how you can explain all these things. For instance, you know, people say to us, well, how do you get all the different skin colors of people if we all go back to Adam and Eve? Well, actually, there aren't any different skin colors. Did you know we're all the same skin color? It's true. There are no white people. There are no black people. I mean, people look at me and say, you're a white person. And I say, I hope not. See, we can do an experiment here. This is white. Do you think I look like that? <laughs> if I look like that, you'd be calling 911 right now. <laughs> actually, everybody has a pigment called melanin. It's a brown pigment. Depends on how much you have. And people you call black aren't black. They're actually dark brown. People you call white are light brown. And so we explain all those things. And it was the Tower of Babel that split up the human population. That's why you have distinct people groups. That's why you have flood legends and creation legends in groups all around the world because they handed them down from the Tower of Babel and they changed them. But the real records in the Bible, it all attests to, to the fact of the truth of God's Word. Isn't it exciting when you do all this stuff? I mean, it really is. It really is exciting. But we live in an era of history when we have generations of kids who no longer believe that history. 
Did you know that two-thirds of young people in America are walking away from the church by the time they reach college age? You know, at the Creation Museum, one of my favorite exhibits is a little exhibit about my mother and father. It's really a testimony to them because my father uh, taught us to stand on the Word of God. He taught us to answer skeptical questions, has his Bible there with his notes in it, a little Noah's Ark he built one day. It's a reminder that really the reason I'm in this ministry is because of the spiritual legacy my father passed on to me. And because of that, we're passing it on to our children who are now passing that on to their children generation after generation. Isn't that what you want to see? That spiritual legacy passed on generation after generation. But people in America, we're losing that spiritual legacy. Two-thirds of young people, that's a, that's a statistic that is well known and accepted. In fact, some say it's more like 80% are walking away from the church by the time we reach college age. And we have to ask ourselves a question, where's the church going to be in America if this continues? What if it's my kids that are in that two-thirds? What if it's my grandkids that are in that two-thirds? Why are we losing the spiritual legacy? I don't want to lose that spiritual legacy from my family. Well, let's go and see what the Bible says. You know, in 2 Corinthians 11.3, Paul has a warning for us. And the warning Paul gives us is this. And this is God's word, of course, through Paul. Paul says, I want to warn you that Satan is going to use the same method on you as he did on Eve to get you to a position of not believing the things of God. If Satan's going to use the same method on us as he did on Eve, and by the way, there's a reference to Eve in the New Testament. Obviously, Paul believed in a, a literal Eve. If, if Satan's going to use the same method on us as he did on Eve, let's go back and find out what that method was. In Genesis 3.1, we find that Satan came to Eve and said, did God really say? What was the method to create doubt to lead to unbelief, to create doubt in regard to the Word of God? People, here's what I want us to understand. The first attack was on the Word of God, and that attack has never let up since Genesis 3. Satan is out to get you, your kids, your neighbors, and friends, and Satan is out to get them to doubt and not believe the Word of God. And he's going to use that same method on us as he did on Eve. And you know, down through the ages, that has happened, generation after generation. You know what we need to be asking ourselves, though? What is the Genesis 3 attack of our day? You see, in Peter and Paul's day, they didn't get asked questions like, what about carbon dating and dinosaurs? because carbon dating is a 20th century invention. Dinosaurs, the word wasn't invented until 1841. They had all sorts of attacks to deal with on the Bible. But I suggest to you the Genesis 3 attack of our day is the teaching of evolution, Big Bang, millions of years that permeates our culture, permeates the world, in fact, that causes generations of kids to doubt that the history in the Bible is true. Now, I know that there are many in our churches, perhaps there could be some even here, I don't know, who say, but wait a minute, you know, you can believe in evolution as a Christian, you can believe in millions of years as a Christian. I'm not saying you're not a Christian if you, if you believe in millions of years or evolution, but I'm going to challenge us that are we undermining the authority of the Word of God? Because if the authority of the Word of God is not what it says in this part, can we trust it in this part? You see, people, what's happening today is this. Let me show you a video that comes off the internet. This young man, typical of many such testimonies that I've seen uh, from the internet and heard over the years, who grew up in a church home. And I want you to be asking yourselves, would I want my kids to be in that position? Or any of my kids' grandkids going to be in that position? This is part of the two-thirds that walk away from the church. And listen to why he did that. Of how I became an atheist. I was born into a Christian family and indoctrinated as uh, growing up as a kid. That next year was freshman year of high school, and I started learning about evolution in my biology class. Then uh, that's where I realized I had never seriously questioned or thought about my religious beliefs. 
So as I learned about evolution and just started thinking philosophically about it, I realized that there couldn't be a God. So I became an atheist. Do you know, over in England, I just got back from England, actually. Over in England, back in the 1700s and 1800s, many church leaders, in response to the idea of millions of years that was being popularized by atheists and deists, said, well, we can reinterpret the days of creation. Darwin came along and said, here's evolution. And they said, well, we can add evolution to the Bible and say God used evolution. And then there were people who came along and said, oh, the Big Bang billions of years ago. And many church leaders said, okay, we can use the Big Bang. And I suggest to you that what happened was church leaders told coming generations, you know what, we don't have to take the Bible as written in Genesis. We can take man's ideas and reinterpret it. Do you know where England is today, by the way? The majority of churches now are like this. Church attendance used to be 50 to 60%. Church attendance down to 5% right now, spiraling down towards what they believe will be 3% in a few years of the population. Two-thirds of young people in England say they don't believe in God. Church buildings across the nation now look like this. This one turned into a Sikh temple, and this one turned into a nightclub, and this one turned into a tattoo and piercing studio. People, what happened was generations of kids started to doubt that you could trust the Bible at the beginning and were told you can use man's ideas to reinterpret the Bible, put them on a slippery slide of unbelief, look where England is today, but the same is happening in our churches in America. See, America has been the greatest Christianized nation on earth. You have more Christian resources in this nation than any other nation in the world, more Christian resources now than you've ever had. But for all of that, let me ask you a question. Is America becoming more Christian or less Christian every day? And what would you say? Less Christian. Why are we losing the culture? Why is not for all the churches, for all that we do, for all the praise services, for all the Sunday school lessons, for all the VBSs, for all the Christian radio, TV, how come we're losing the culture? What is wrong? I suggest to you because the culture has in many ways invaded the church. And see, what we see today, for instance, did you know that most Christian leaders, most seminary professors, Bible college professors, will tell you you can believe in evolution of millions of years, but you can reinterpret Genesis. They say it doesn't matter as long as you trust in Jesus. But I'm suggesting you it does matter because the message of Jesus comes from a book. And if this book is not true in its history, how can its book be true in its message of the gospel that's based in that history? If this is the word of God and we have to reinterpret it from man's ideas outside in its history, well, why shouldn't we take man's ideas of the resurrection when he says you can't have a resurrection and reinterpret that? People, either this is the word of God or it is not. And that's what we've got to come to grips with. And I know this church stands on the word of God and, and that's why we're here, uh, to be able to talk about that. You know, in this nation, we see changes happening. We see atheists having rallies now to promote atheism as they did march in Washington, D.C. Uh, there was an atheist concert at a military base at Fort, Fort Bragg. We see universities doing, allowing things that would never have been allowed generations ago. In San Antonio, Texas, a student group set up a booth and encouraged students to exchange their Bibles for pornography. We see atheists putting billboards up across the nation, mocking God, mocking Jesus, blaspheming uh, Christ's name, mocking the flood, misquoting the Bible. But you see, for all of that that's going on in the culture, we've got to be asking ourselves, why, why is not the church influencing the culture as it used to? Really, I think the Journal of Christianity Today reflects what's going on. Last year, in its June issue, it focused on a topic, how increasing numbers of Christian leaders in the church in America no longer believe in a literal Adam or a literal Eve or a literal fall. And people, if there was no literal Adam and there's no literal Eve and there's no literal fall, then why are we sinners? 
then who are we? Then where did we come from? And if the Bible's history is not true, how can the gospel that's based in that history be true? And we wonder why we're losing two-thirds from the church. And not only that, do you know what else is happening in the church? We see more and more in the church condoning gay marriage, condoning abortion. Why are they doing that? You'll find that a lot in the church will say, well, we take man's ideas of geology, biology, astronomy and reinterpret Genesis. Why shouldn't we take man's ideas of morality and reinterpret morality? And that's exactly what's happening. In fact, in April this year, a church, Westminster Presbyterian Church from Grands Rapids, Michigan, actually started a program called Gay Christian Yes, in which they're promoting gay marriage. In fact, I, I, there's a verse of scripture that to me sums up what's happening in America. It's in the book of Judges. When there was no king in Israel, no absolute authority to tell them what to do, they all did what was right in their own eyes. People, as more and more this culture rejects the absolute authority of God's word, then who decides right and wrong? You do. Who decides what's good and bad? You do. Who decides what marriage is? You do. You see, if the Bible is God's absolute authority, then he's the one that determines what's right and wrong, what's good and bad, what, what marriage is, and so on. You know, President Obama has a, a statement that he's made many times, and he said this, whatever we once were, we are no longer. We're no longer just a Christian nation, we're also a Jewish nation, a Muslim nation, a Buddhist nation, a Hindu nation, a nation of non-believers. I believe what really is being said here is we're no longer a nation that believes in one God who's the absolute authority. We're a nation that believes in many gods. We're a nation that's changed religion. Because you see, ultimately, there's only two religions in the world. You either start with God's word or man's word. That's it, there are only two. Trust God or you become as gods. That's what it says in Genesis 3. The founding fathers of this nation, many were Christians who built their thinking on the Bible. That's why marriage was a man and a woman. That's why we knew what was right and what was wrong. That's why abortion was considered wrong, because we have an absolute authority. But as you throw out the Bible and you replace it with man's word and you say, no, it's man who determines truth, man determines right and wrong, it's man who defines marriage, then we'll see moral relativism pervading the culture, which is exactly what we're seeing. Why is this, why is the nation giving up God's word? People, we've thrown God's word out of the public school system by and large, haven't we? Throwing out God, the Bible, prayer, creation, why is the nation giving up God's word? I suggest to you because much of the church has in reality given up God's word. And what do I mean by that? Much of the church has said we don't need to take God's word in Genesis. We can reinterpret that. We can believe what the world is saying. And it's unlocked a door that coming generations open further to say if, if you can't trust the first part of the Bible, how can you trust the rest? We're seeing, as I said, two-thirds of young people walking away from the church. In 2009, we published a book called Already Gone. And in that book, we had research detailed, conducted by America's research group. We asked a, a real professional group of researchers, headed by a man called Britt Beamer, to go out and research why young people are leaving the church. And he found some interesting things. He asked them questions. What age did you begin to really question contents in the Bible? You know, 40% were questioning the Bible by the end of middle school another 45% by the end of high school. If you don't believe the Bible, when did you first start to have doubts? 40% were having doubts by the end of middle school, another 45% by the end of high school. You know what he found? These kids are doubting the Bible at a very young age. Why are they doubting the Bible at a very young age? What, what, what's going on? We're losing them at a young age. That's why we call the book Already Gone, because these kids are sitting in our churches today, this morning, across this nation, and in their hearts and minds, two-thirds are already gone. They've already got those doubts leading to unbelief. By the way, question, are they your kids? Are they your grandkids? Your neighbor's kids? Here's what we found. 
we found that by and large what happens, as, as, as all this was analysed, that what's happening in our churches and homes, and I think many of you will identify with this, what, what tends to happen generally, I'm not saying every home, every church, but I'm saying generally speaking, what happens is we tend to teach Bible stories. You know what I mean by Bible stories? Jonah and the great fish, feeding of the 5,000, Paul's missionary journey, Jesus on the cross, Noah on the ark, Adam and Eve. You might say, but you believe those, yes. What's wrong with that? Well, number one, it's the use of the word story. Tell me what the word story means today, in today's age. You tell me, what's it mean? Fiction, fairy tale, right. And, and see, the word has sort of changed meaning. And we've got, to, we've got to be cognizant of that. And in fact, one of the things I challenge people is, hey, in the church, we need to understand, get people to understand, this is the book of history. You know what I teach kids? I, I do these kids programs, and I have lots of little kids as well, and we talk about dinosaurs and fun things, and I say to them, say it after me. You know what the Bible is? It's the history book of the universe. What is it? It's the history book of the universe. Christianity is based in real history. It's not just stories, it's real history. But see, the problem today is that 90% of kids from church homes go to public schools, and even though some of you might be Christian teachers as missionaries in that system, as I was, and you need our prayers, by the way, it's difficult, I know that, but nonetheless, kids get the idea what they're taught at school is real, what they're taught at church and home are stories. And not only that, what they're being taught at school by and large, public schools are throwing God out, Bible out, prayer out. They teach evolution as fact, millions of years as fact. You can explain the whole of reality by natural processes. The supernatural is not involved. You're just an animal. And what's happening is this. We found that we're not teaching in our homes and churches, by and large, preparing kids for the Genesis 3 attacks of our day, we're not getting them ready and saying, now, they're going to tell you this, and you need to be prepared with this answer. They're going to tell you, you came from an ape man. Well, here's the answer to that. They're going to tell you that dinosaurs uh, died out millions of years ago. Here's the answer to that. They're going to tell you that you couldn't fit all the animals on the ark. Here's the answer to that. They're going to tell you there never was a global flood. Here's the answer to that. We don't give them those answers. We're not teaching them apologetics. But you know who is teaching them apologetics? the public schools and the TV, because here's what they're hearing through the TV and the public schools. Here's the evidence the Bible's not true. Here's the evidence you came from an ape man. Here's the evidence for evolution. Here's the evidence for the Big Bang. Here's the evidence you're just an animal. And kids get the idea, ah, what I'm taught at school and through TV, that's evidence, that's history. What we learn at church and home, that's a Bible story. Do you see the problem? People, that's why we produced apologetics resources. We brought just a few of our apologetics resources out there. We've even now produced an entire apologetic Sunday school curriculum and VBS curriculum. And the reason the Lord has laid this on our heart is because we need to raise up generations who know how to defend the faith, who know how to answer questions. It's one thing to say you're a Christian. It's another thing to be able to give an answer. You know, Psalm 11.3 says, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Here's a barn that had a foundation that was cracking and then the foundation collapsed and the barn came down. That collapsing barn to me represents the collapsing moral structure of our Western nation. Why do we see Christian morality collapsing in our Western world? Because we've lost the foundation, the foundation of the authority of the Word of God. How did that happen in our modern world? Because there's been an incredible attack on the Bible, on God's Word, and in this era of history, the Genesis 3 attack focused on the history in Genesis 1 to 11, and many Christians succumbed to it. Many of us said, well, maybe it doesn't matter whether you believe Genesis or not. Isn't the most important thing to trust in Jesus? But the message of Jesus is rooted in that history. And not only that, that history is God's Word itself. And if we've told the next generation you don't have to believe that history, you can reinterpret it, we're actually undermining the Word. You know, Jesus is the Word. 
And Jesus, in Matthew 19, when asked about marriage, said, haven't you read? There's the authority of the word. And quoted from Genesis. Haven't you read? He made the male and female. He quoted from Genesis 1. And you, you're one flesh because Eve came from Adam. She didn't come from an ape woman. She came from Adam. That's why you're one flesh. Well, you know what Jesus was saying? That history in Genesis is the reason marriage is to be a man and a woman. And people, we live in a world today where they say, well, you've got to allow all views of marriage. What they mean is you've got to allow all views except God's view, which is the right one. And if you tell generations of kids today that history in Genesis is not true, then tell me, how do you justify marriage as a man and a woman? You can't. You can only defend it if that history is true. That's why marriage is a man and a woman. Do you know how important Genesis 1 to 11 is? Can you name one doctrine of theology, directly or indirectly, that's not founded in Genesis 1 to 11? Try to name one doctrine that's not founded in Genesis 1 to 11. Think about it for a moment. Why did Jesus die on a cross? What happened in Genesis 1 to 11? Why are we sinners? Genesis 1 to 11. Why is there death in the world? Genesis 1 to 11. Why are you wearing clothes? Please keep doing so. Genesis 1 to 11. Why do we need a new heavens and a new earth? Genesis 1 to 11. Why do we have a seven-day week? Genesis 1 to 11. Why is Jesus called the last Adam? Genesis 1 to 11. Do you think Genesis 1 to 11 is important? It's the foundational history for the whole of the rest of the Bible, for all of our doctrines, for the gospel, for everything. And yet, so many Christians today are prepared to give up Genesis 1 to 11 and say it doesn't matter. They say, well, you know, maybe, maybe God used millions of years. Maybe God used evolution. And by the way, I don't want you to get me wrong here because I have people who say to me, are you saying that we've got to believe in a literal Genesis to be a Christian? We've got to believe in six literal days in a young earth to be a Christian. You know, the, in Romans 10:9 we read this. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart God has raised him from the dead and believe in a young earth in six literal days, you'll be saved. <laughs> now, the Bible doesn't say that, does it? The Bible makes it clear that, that salvation is conditioned upon faith in Christ, not what you believe about the age of the earth or the six days of creation. But here's the point I want us to get. If you can get this point, this is the point I want you to get. And it's this. You see, if you believe Jesus Christ bodily rose from the dead, why do you believe that? Because you didn't see it happen. How do you know it really happened? It's because you trust the Word of God. Is that not true? Isn't that why you believe in the virgin birth? People, the secular scientists say you can't have a virgin birth and a resurrection in humans, so should we take what the secular scientists say and say we're going to reinterpret the Bible? No, you don't do that. Couldn't I go all the way through the Bible and say, you believe Jesus walked on water, you believe he fed thousands as a, as a miracle with loaves and fishes, do you believe that they crossed the Jordan River as a miracle and the Israelites crossed the Red Sea as a miracle, do you believe a man that was swallowed by a fish and lived in a fish for three days as a miracle, do you believe the Israelites wandered in the desert for 40 years and their clothes didn't wear out? And you know, most Christians would say, yeah, because that's the Word of God. But as soon as you get to Genesis in this era of history, and you say God created in six days, and there was a global flood, and death came after sin, and man was made from dust and woman from his side, you hear Christians saying, oh, no, but it doesn't mean that. Oh, no, because of evolution, because of millions of years. No, it means something else. And people, what has happened is this, is that we have told the next generation, you don't have to take God's Word as written here. You can take man's ideas and reinterpret them. We've unlocked a door, and that door we've unlocked has put them on that same slippery slide of unbelief we saw happen in England. And that's where we're heading today. You know, let, let me challenge you here for a moment. Because I know that, you know, sometimes when I say some of these things, I, I stand on some people's toes in regard to beliefs that we have, and particularly when it comes to issues like millions of years. 
Because I have many Christians who say, wait a minute, wait a minute. Are you telling me that, that, that the millions of years is not true? Well, no, I don't believe it's true. But, 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 but what about all the dating methods? And, you know, they're all based on assumptions. They're all fallible. In fact, there's only one infallible dating method, and that's God's Word. And I want to challenge us this way. If you believe in millions of years as a Christian, do you know where the millions of years came from? It came out of atheism in the 1700s, 1800s. By atheists, people who want to explain the fossil record by natural processes without God, nothing to do with the Bible, nothing to do with the flood. And it's said to be a record that was laid down millions of years before man. But do you know what's in the fossil record? Think about this. Supposedly millions of years before man, animals eating each other. Lots of examples of that. The Bible says originally Adam and Eve ate fruit and the animals were vegetarian. It doesn't fit. In fact, the Bible says that we were told we could eat meat only after the flood. Originally, we were plant eaters. And that's, that's the reason we can now eat meat, is because God changed our diet. He said, just as I gave you the plants, now I give you everything, which includes hot dogs, because that is everything. <laughs> Do you know what else is in the fossil record? Did you know there are brain tumors in the fossil record? Did you know in the bones in the fossil record, there's all sorts of diseases like cancer and arthritis and abscesses? You know, when God finished creating, he said everything he made was very good. Do you think God calls brain cancer very good? Do you think God calls cancer very good? See, people, if you believe in millions of years, how do you answer your kids the question, how can you believe in a loving God with death and suffering in the world? Does God say, that's very good, that's what I do? Or is it because of our sin that there's death and suffering in the world? It's not God's fault, it's our fault. Which means, by the way, the fossil record can't have existed millions of years before sin. Man, how do you explain billions of dead things buried in rock layers laid down by water all over the earth after sin? Well, have a think about that for a moment. You know, in the fossil record, there's lots of examples of thorns said to be hundreds of millions of years old, fossil thorns. Does not the Bible say thorns came after the curse? How could you have them millions of years before the curse? See, the origin of death is actually in Genesis. Adam, you can eat of all the trees. There's one tree you're not to eat of, because if you do, you will surely what? die. The Bible makes it clear death came into the world because of sin. In fact, the first death was in the garden when God killed animals and clothed Adam and Eve. Do you realize that's the origin of clothing? Do you know why you're wearing clothing today? Because God gave clothes because of sin. And it was actually to do with the fact that he was telling them about the coming of the one who would take away their sin. You see, this was a covering for their sin. He killed an animal, the first death, clothed them the first blood sacrifice is a covering for their sin. The life of the flesh is in the blood. Blood represents life. And so we had to die because of our sin. We forfeited our right to live. So there had to be the giving of life to pay the penalty for sin. But an animal can't take away our sin because we're not connected to the animals. We needed a man because a man brought sin and death. But it had to be a perfect man, not a sinner. So God's son stepped into history to be that perfect man. Isn't that incredible? To be the God-man. To die on a cross. Be raised from the dead. And people, that clothing reminds you that we can't, we can't take away our sin. That's just a, that's a covering that can't take it away. We need the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ to take it away. Now, I want to challenge you. How can these two things be true at the same time? You know, when I go to the Grand Canyon, I look at all those layers full of dead things, and I realize they couldn't be formed before sin. So what could form billions of dead things buried in rock layers laid down by water all over the earth? and has to be after sin. Can you think of anything? If there was a global flood, you'd expect to find billions of dead things buried in rock layers laid down by water all over the earth. And that's what you find. 
And you know, we've done a lot of research to show how fossils can form quickly, canyons form quickly, layers form quickly. You know, I've had people say, one of the questions is asked, how can you believe in a global flood? There's not enough water to cover the earth. Actually, do you know what? If you leveled out all the mountains and the ocean basins today, there's enough water to cover to a depth of two miles. Did you know that? Why do we find fossils on the top of Mount Everest? See, when people say there's not enough water to cover the earth, what they mean is in today's world. But that's assuming the mountains today were the same before the flood. The mountains obviously weren't as high before the flood. The ocean basins weren't as deep. In fact, Psalm 104 seems to indicate how God ended the flood. It says he raised up the mountains and sank the ocean basins. Thus the sediments were laid down. You end up with fossils on the top of mountains and lowered the ocean basins. Water pours off and formed canyons. Oh, look, let me show you something. When you go to the Grand Canyon, that whole area was uplifted. Behind the Grand Canyon today, there's evidence there were vast lakes. They're dry lake beds now filled with waters from the flood and rains after the flood and they broke through the canyon while the sediments were soft and carved it out. If that's true, you should find downstream from the Grand Canyon massive deposits where all the sediment was deposited and that's what you find. You find massive surge deposits downstream from the Grand Canyon. Not only that, when you go and stand right where those layers were uplifted, hey, we're told by the secularists they were uplifted with millions of years of heat and pressure. If that happened, they'd be turned into metamorphic rock. They're still sedimentary rock. They're not cracked. They were bent while they were soft. People, the evidence is just obvious that it's consistent with catastrophism of Noah's flood, not millions of years. Isn't it exciting being a Christian when you have answers? It really is. And then the bottom line, this is why this is important. You see, when we build our thinking on God's Word, we have a basis for right and wrong. We have a basis for marriage, one man for one woman. We have a basis for understanding that abortion is killing a human being, and that's killing someone made in the image of God. But when you start from man's Word, right and wrong, whatever you want to make for yourselves, if you can get away with it. What's marriage? However you want to define it for yourselves. Do what you want with sex. What's abortion? What do you get rid of spare cats? Get rid of spare kids. You're all animals. What's the difference? And people, we're wondering why in America we're seeing the collapse of Christian morality and increasing moral relativism. It's because increasingly our culture is giving up God's Word. It's saying it's man who determines truth. And I like to summarize it this way. Two castles. Here's the foundation of God's Word, the castle of Christianity, the gospel, the doctrines that come out of that, man's Word, secular humanism, moral relativism. There's been an incredible attack in our world today. The world has attacked God's Word. God's Word has come under attack ever since the beginning. But in our world today, it's particularly been an attack focused on the first 11 chapters of the Bible, and much of the church has given into that. And we say, well, we'll keep the rest. We'll tell people about Jesus. But you need that whole foundation for, for that structure to stand. Because Christianity is based in history, and all, the, all of our doctrines and everything, the gospel, is based in that history in Genesis 1 to 11. And then we look up here and we say, look at all the problems in the culture, gay marriage, abortion. But you know they're not the problems, they're the symptoms. See, we tend to try to fight them up here. Do you know what we've tended to do in America? To use millions of dollars to try to legislate morality to change the culture. And you know it hasn't worked, has it? Because you know what? The Bible doesn't say go into all the world and change the culture. It says go into all the world and preach the gospel and make disciples. Because you know what the Bible makes clear? It's hearts and minds that change a culture. We need to see hearts and minds change for the Lord Jesus Christ. But sadly... We've handed many of the, uh, the next generation over to the world and said, you can take their hearts and minds. You teach them what you want to teach them about history. We'll tell them about Jesus. And eventually it's changed their hearts and minds, changed their worldview, and they've changed the culture. 
What we need to be doing is raising up generations who know what they believe, know why they believe what they do, know why they believe the Bible, are prepared to answer those skeptical attacks today, can go out there and give answers, and can preach with authority and preach the gospel with authority because they believe the authority from which it comes. Man, if we did that, we would change the world. Well, you know, I could go on for millions of years, but we're sort of running out of time. <laughs> And uh, one of the things that we do as a ministry, we want to resource you because people come and say, okay, how do I get those answers? Because a lot of people just don't have them, and yet they're so available. And so we bought sort of the cream of the crop with us to help you. I encourage you to go to our website, answersingenesis.org, and use resources like this. This is a special one we bring and we supply to you. In fact, it's subsidized for you because we want people to be able to make a difference in the culture. The Begin Book, How to Present the Gospel to Our Culture by Starting at the Beginning understanding the Genesis 3 attack. We put together these scriptures, Genesis 1 to 11, there's the history, foundational to the gospel. Exodus 20, the law, the schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. The book of John, the life of Christ. And then Romans, the gospel in detail, the power of the gospel. And then the last two chapters of Revelation, new heavens and new earth, uh, the, the, the consummation. And we put a summary of the Bible in the middle with little notes there to help explain it. And then, 10 of the most asked questions today answered to deal with the Genesis 3 attack of our day and what does it mean to be saved. And I encourage you to get more than one. I noticed a lot of people in other services buying armloads of these because to go out, uh, we're not making anything from this. This is We want to provide it for you and uh, we, to go out and use it as a witnessing tool, even in your own families. There are a few other resources we brought with us. The, these three answers books have a hundred of the most asked questions answered that you'll get today. For teens and adults, I encourage you to get equipped with those. My book, The Lie, The Importance of the Book of Genesis, How Do We Know the Bible is True, One Race, One Blood, All Go Back to Adam and Eve, and Where Did Cain Get His Wife, and We're All the Same Skin Color, explains all of that. A Loving God with Death and Suffering, how do you explain that? In fact, I had a, a younger brother died of a horrible brain disease and wrote that book, and, and people say it's, it's really helped them because it starts with Genesis to give the answers. A book on dinosaurs. A lot of people are confused about dinosaurs. We have uh, some of our favorite DVDs out there, and we put them together, and you can do all sorts of um, combinations at uh, special prices. Also, to get the main presentations I give in churches around the country and across the world, we put them together, very professionally done. It just won an award for Best Christian Series of the Year and Best Curriculum for the Year and it's uh, 12 30-minute programs. And I encourage you all as well to get our Answers magazine. Nothing else like it in the world. It just won eight awards from the Evangelical Press Association. Apologetics magazine for the family with a mini magazine for kids in the middle. And uh, it equips you. And people, as I hand back to Jonathan to close the service, you know, I, I mentioned about Noah's flood because it was a judgment, but Noah's ark is also a message of salvation. Noah and his family had to go through a doorway to be saved. Noah was a preacher of righteousness. I'm sure he was encouraging people to go through that door to be saved. But you know, only eight people went in that door and then God shut the door. And then the flood came and then it was too late. You know, the flood left its mark all over the earth and the Bible tells us there's gonna be another judgment, not by water next time, by what? Fire. And he's provided an ark of salvation for us. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. He stepped into history to die on a cross, be raised from the dead. He said, I am the door by me. If any man enter in, he'll be saved. And one of the things I like to challenge us with is this. That door is still open, but you know one day that door is going to shut? You know the most important thing for every one of you? That you know you're in that ark of salvation. I pray that you are. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 
But you know the world wants to do all it can to get your kids, your neighbors, your friends, the people you witness to away from the door to the ark. We need to do all we can to get them to the door of the ark and pray God will take them through. And that's why I encourage you to begin making sure that we're effective witnesses in defending the Christian faith for the Lord Jesus Christ. Get equipped so that you can be better able to get people to the door of the ark. And I'll hand back to Jonathan to close. Thank you, Dr. Ham. Uh, I think what's so great about listening to Dr. Ham speak is I think it's it's great to know that there are answers. And I think for I know a lot of people in my generation feel like they've been denied the liberty to believe in God because they've heard so many things to the contrary. Nobody's ever given them answers of how to be able to respond to that. And I think it's it's so great to know that there is the freedom to believe in God and there are real answers. And uh, that's fantastic. Would you allow me just for a second? I know I know our time is gone, but just for a second, would you allow me to switch gears just quickly? Um, because I want to talk to you about these boards that you see on either side of the auditorium before we leave um, this place this morning. Um, I had a message from my dad. He wanted me to be sure he let you know that the series that we're getting ready to start in two weeks is bigger than the biggest thing we have ever done at New Spring. And he really believes that. But there's something special about these boards that you see here because you see the names written on these boards already, people that are going by and they're writing down the name of somebody that they want to bring to Friend Request Weekend. This is somebody that they want to invite to be part of this series to hear the good news of Christ. And, and uh, we're making this an important emphasis. Can I tell you that for, for all of our staff, including my dad and myself, we, we come to this campus every day of the week and we look at those boards and we know how important these people are to you and we're praying for them. And, and before you leave this room this morning, if there's somebody that you, you know, you heard Ken talk about getting our, our kids and our friends to that door so they understand the choice. If that's something that's, that's in your heart this morning, would you do me a favor? I know you're in a hurry to get to lunch, but before you do that, would you just take a moment, pause, and think about who it is in your life that needs to hear the message of Jesus Christ? And would you take a second and just write their name? Don't, don't put the full name, just first name or maybe first name and last initial. As, as one, a, a commitment to yourself, I know I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask this person to come, but also as, a, as an act of prayer, writing that name down, you're saying, God, I'm, pr I'm praying that you will open up the window of opportunity for this person to come. Would you do that? And my commitment to you is, when I walk past these boards during the week, and my dad's commitment as well, is we will be praying that God will give you an opportunity to talk to these people and that they will make a choice to come. Folks, the most important decision anyone ever makes in their life is what will you do with Jesus? Uh, and we want to have your friends here to be able to communicate that message with them. Let me, let, let's pray and we'll be dismissed in just a moment. Father, thank you so much uh, for the message that we've heard today. Father, as we reflect on the fact that you are creator, God, that you did create the universe, that we're, we're impressed by the fact that someone who would be able to be the author of DNA, the person who constructed this entire world in which we live, that someone uh, that incredible would love us enough to send his son to die on a cross so that we could have a future with you. Father, we praise you and thank you for that. Father, we love you so much. And as we're dismissed, we leave impressed with the sense that you love us. And Father, that is the sense we will take with us through this week. We love you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Ryan. Hey, thank you all so much for coming. Don't forget the whiteboards. We'll see you later.